Now, Bernie, it's your turn to talk. Thank you. Uh, Bernie has been a great blessing to uh, to many people who I've attended one of his course on Islam uh, for three months. Is it? Or one of the evening class, and he came here to teach one Saturday afternoon on engaging Islam. And I think this is one area we need to uh, explore. So, Bernie, please come and share with us. Great to be with you today. Um, so uh, here's my, my two employers up there. I work with InterServe, an international organization, a mission organization. Been involved with them for uh, over 30 years now. Worked in different countries. Um, we, my wife and I were 20 years in places like Pakistan, in Jordan, Oman, in Yemen. And the last 10 years I've been lecturing at Melbourne School of Theology. Uh, Islamic studies is my area and involved with Muslim people. So that's me. How many people saw the royal wedding last night? Own up to it. Go on, put your hands up. I had to watch it. My wife's English and she likes that kind of stuff. So that was good. We held hands during the vows and it was really good. I sang the songs. What did you think of that preacher? Woo, fantastic. I reckon maybe three billion people saw this um, uh, service and he got out there. He was very biblical. Michael Curry was his name. Episcopalian bishop. Um, uh, admittedly, I wasn't expecting much, um, but he was just ticked all the boxes. He was brilliant. Just got in there, engaged people, preached the gospel very clearly, very Christ-centred, and called people to love. And I thought that was great. It didn't kind of fall into kind of wishy-washy, romantic stuff. It was very grounded, and it was fantastic. Really, really good time. Um, today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a, different, a different group of people. I, in my um, talks, I uh, have my mobile phone switched on, um, and if at any time you want to text me a question, you can do that. Um, so that's available. My number is actually not on every slide in this one, so if you want to get it and grab it now, it turns up in a few others. Um, and uh, if any time you think of a question, text it to me and I'll stop and read them out at, at different times throughout the thing there. Also, we have a, a monthly newsletter um, sign up if people want to learn more about um, Muslims and learning uh, how to share the gospel with Muslim people. Then uh, there, that will be a, there's a table outside the back with some books as, for sale as well, so you can uh, uh, pick up on the process. Two weeks ago, as Pastor Glenn said, I, I spoke on Matthew 10, Jesus and the woman at the well, and a couple of things came out of that. First of all, to take risks. Don't always follow the safe path. Jesus decided to go through Samaria, right through the middle of enemy territory. We saw him stepping out in faith and taking the initiative, talking to this woman that Jewish people would not normally relate to. She was female, he was male, she was a Samaritan, he was a Jew. Um, but he reaches across those social and cultural and gender boundaries uh, to talk with her. He connects with her. Uh, he... Um, it's talking about the issues that are of concern to her. Firstly, it's water, and secondly, it's men. And uh, Jesus uh, touches on those issues. And he even says the hard things. Uh, so, like, where is your husband? Knowing that she had quite a few. She'd, she'd been around before, and she had a different man with her now. Um, but he did it in a gentle way. Um, 
he proclaimed himself and our, our calling is to proclaim Christ, to talk about him and expect God to reveal himself. We saw at the end of the story the people coming out from the village and inviting Jesus to stay uh, and he did for a couple of days. He stayed there teaching them about the kingdom of God and it's about doing the hard work of, uh, of the kingdom, um, sowing and harvesting. Evangelism's not easy. For some people it's a very natural kind of thing. It's just kind of rolls off their lips, but for most of us, hard work. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about the, the whole idea of how do you share the gospel with Muslims? How do you share the good news with them? And particularly if you've got one sitting right there in front of you. And I've got a, a, um, a very practical example here. A couple of years ago, I took a group of my students to Werribee Mosque. It's called the Virgin Mary Mosque. Um, and uh, the, the imam there is a guy called Sheikh Isa Musa. He's blind, a Somali fellow, very intelligent, very likable, you know, just the kind of person you'd pop in a party and he would get on well with everyone. Really nice guy. And our students, my students are quite well versed in Islam, and they started asking him questions which he obviously hadn't heard of before and hadn't thought about. And he was feeling a little bit uncomfortable and... Uh, I wasn't sure how he was going to deal with this, but he um, did what any good soldier did. He would do. He went on the front foot, and he decided to turn the tables on us. And so um, he then says, well, I've got a question for you. You've asked me a lot of hard questions, and my question is, why can't we just agree that God is one? He said, you're Muslims. We're, we're Muslims. You're Christians. Why can't we just agree? And he said, and more specifically, why do you want to talk about the Trinity? The Trinity, it's an impossible doctrine to explain, and it's of no practical use anyway. So why do you talk about that? So the challenge smack right down there in front of me. Um, and uh, I thought, okay, well, I've been around for a bit too, so uh, let's respond to this. And I said, well, actually, you're wrong, Sheikh. I said, the Trinity is the most practical doctrine that's ever been, that's ever been uh, revealed to humanity, and I'll tell you why. I said, let me tell you a story. There were about 20 Muslim people there in the mosque as well as my students, and so they were all listening in. I said, it's about a man named Ahmed. One night, um, he's out in the desert and he goes for a walk. And as he's walking along the desert, he unfortunately falls down a very big hole. Now, Ahmed's in big difficulty. Nobody knows he's there, um, and the sand's very soft. And the more he tries, the worse his situation gets. And so he calls out, help, if there's anybody up there, please help me. Well, uh, to his good fortune, a face appears at the, at the top and says, looks down and says, Ahmed, I would love to come down and help you, but I'm alone. Um, so I can't come down by myself, uh, but what I do have here is a book. And if I give you a copy of this book, maybe you can read it and work out how to, how to save yourself. And then he disappeared. So I said, but at the same time, uh, there was another man in the same desert named Mabruk walking in the opposite direction and he also fell down a hole. Same situation. The more he tried, the worse his situation got. Soon he's covered up to his waist in this very soft sand and thinking, I'm going to die here for sure. So he yells out, help if there's somebody up there, please help me. And soon three faces appear at the top and they look down and they say, Mabruk, we will do everything we can to save you. Now, of the three, one of them was very strong. Arnold Schwarzenegger type. One of them was very brave. 
He said, I'm ready to try anything. And the third one was very gentle. And so the strong one says, well, I'm happy to hold a rope and lower someone down if someone's willing to go down there. And the brave one says, I'll do that. Uh, and the general one says, well, let me encourage you guys. You've got the right plan. Let's get going. And so they did. The, uh, brave one, the strong one takes a rope and he gives it to the brave one and lowers him down into the bottom of the hole. And the brave one takes the rope off himself and ties it around Mabruk's waist and he gets pulled out of the hole. But as he's getting to the top, his foot hits the side of the sand and all of the sand collapses in on top of the brave one and buries him at the bottom of the hole and he dies. When I tell this story to Arab people, they're very emotional. They go, oh no, what a disaster. This guy, he uh, went to save somebody else and he died. And I said, yeah, but listen, there's, a, there's another bit to it. You see, the, the strong one and the gentle one said, even though our companion is dead, we will not abandon him to the grave. And they dug and they dug and they dug for three days. Random figure, by the way. And they got down to the, uh, to, the brave, to the strong one and they brought him up. And then the gentle one said, even though he's dead, I can breathe into him by the power of God, he can come back to life again. And he did. He leans over and... And praise God, the one who was dead comes back to life again. And so there was great rejoicing, not only because... The dead one had been brought back to life, but Mabruk, who had been lost, was saved. And I turned to the sheikh and I said, so now in this story, if you had the choice, who would you rather be? Ahmed, who's still in the hole with the book, trying to work out how to save himself, or Mabruk, who'd been saved by the death of the brave one who came to his, uh, to his rescue? Well, he obviously knew the answer because he changed the topic and wouldn't talk about it anymore. I've told this one to Muslim people, and often they'll go, oh, Bernie, you are very, very clever. Because they know what this is all about. They know that we believe in God the Father, who is the loving God who sends his Son, who comes willingly down to earth to save us, because we can't save ourselves. In the process of that, he dies, but he's raised raised from death to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're able to live in that relationship with, with the triune God. And so this is a kind of a, a, a helpful way to, to put the idea of the Trinity in there. Many people say, oh, don't talk about the Trinity with Muslims because it's too difficult. So I put it in story form to make it, uh, put it in there and to help us understand it. The Trinity is not um, introduced to us in the Bible as a doctrine that has to be believed. It's introduced as the way in which God saves us. It's a very practical thing because the the Son is the one who saves, the Spirit gives life. We'll talk a little bit more about that um, in a a minute. I was invited um, a couple of years ago to go to Northcote Baptist Church. Um, There was a young Iranian man that uh, one Sunday morning was walking by there, just arrived in the country recently and thought, this is interesting, I wonder what's going on in there. And he walks into the Baptist Church. And as he sat there, he thought, wow, this is interesting. These things they're talking about. He started reading the Bible and he was really entranced. And he said, I would love to become a Christian. There's only one thing stopping me, this idea of the Trinity. I don't get it. It doesn't, doesn't quite hang together. And so they rang me up and said, would you come and uh, talk with this young man? And so I did. I, I went along to the church and uh, met with this young man. 
And I said, let me give you a diagram that might help you understand this. And so I drew this at the top. I said, as Muslims and Christians, we believe that God is one. Um, in the Quran, it says that in Surah 112, verse 2, who are Allah al Ahad, He is God the one. And the Bible teaches it in Deuteronomy 6 4. Um, Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And Jesus picked that up in Mark 12 when they said, What's the greatest? commandment. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. So this idea of the oneness of God is something that's shared by Muslims and Christians. We believe in the unity of God. And I said, but there's two types of unity. There is what we might call a simple unity. Let me give you some examples. I said, in geometry, the simplest unit or simplest entity is a point. It exists in only one dimension. You can't get simpler than that. In biology, the simplest living organism on Earth is an amoeba. It's got only one cell. You can't get simpler than that. And in psychology, the simplest entity is a human being because it's got a single centre of consciousness. And I said, when Muslims think about Allah, then they believe that Allah is a singularity and there's no internal differentiation within him. And he said, that's true. That's standard Muslim teaching. And I said, it actually affects the way that you worship. Because when Muslims worship, they always have to face um, in the one direction. They have to face towards Mecca, that big black box in the middle of the city. They always have to pray in one language. They can only pray in Arabic. You can't pray in Bahasa or Tagalog or Swahili or English. It has to be, be in the one language. They always pray at the same times a day, the same number of times a day. Five times, they're at set periods. They, they've got, uh, you've got apps on your phone now which will send the alarm and tell you when those times are. And they also have to, have to pray in the same way. You can't vary that. It's been set down for 1,400 years, so they continue. So I said, Islam tends to uniformity and conformity because it's reflecting the image of the God that you worship, Allah. Allah, because he's undifferentiated in himself, a monad, just a single unity, there's no differentiation. I said that's one way to think about unity, but there is actually another way, and that's what we call a complex unity. And I'll use the same three uh, uh, areas of study. In geometry, uh, a complex unity would be a cube. Uh, say, for example, this room, we've got three dimensions. We've got a, uh, a length, a width, and a height. Three dimensions, but one room. So the idea of three in one exists there. In biology, the most complex uh, living being on Earth, anybody want to guess? You. you! Nothing more complex than you exist. More cells in your brain than stars in the universe. You are the most amazing creature uh, that, is, that God has created. Um, and, uh, but you know, we see within this cell there's specialisation. You have skin cells that are different from your liver cells, that are different from your brain cells, but one living being that's all integrated. That's called a complex unity. In um, psychology or sociology, a complex unity would be a community. So here we are all in this one room with different backgrounds, different experiences, uh, different abilities, but we are one congregation. We share that. And so when... Christians think about God, we think of God as a complex unity. We believe that he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons in one God. So there's differentiation and specialisation in there. We saw that in the, uh, the story of the two men. The Father and the Son and the Spirit act differently, um, but with the one purpose. And so uh, 
Christian teaching, because of its, the nature of the God that it serves, tends towards variety and freedom, because that's what we find within the nature of the God that we worship. And uh, when we worship, we see people will do music and singing. So we were singing today in English, but we could have been singing in, a, in another language. Um, there's creativity. The, worship, the, the services are quite different from time to time. You can pray or worship at any time and any place. You don't have to um, do anything before you pray. Just open up to God. Uh, you can pray in multiple languages. Um, you don't need to wash beforehand. You just go to come to God as you are. You can pray with dancing, uh, worship with dancing, um, and cultural expressions. Worship in Germany is quite different from worship in Brazil. Um, and so this reflects the nature of the God that we worship. We find that freedom and variety within the, within the nature of God, and that's reflected in the way that we worship. But it also means that God can do things that Allah cannot do. I, and I don't hold to the, the view that... Um, the, the God of the Muslims and the Christians is the same. I, I believe there's quite significant differences. And one of them is that the Trinity brings greater flexibility. A tri-personal God can do things that the monistic God of Islam cannot do. For example, if God wanted to, Jesus, the Son of God, could take on a human body. And he did. He was born. Um, he grew up and he taught this most amazing teaching. Uh, performed miracles, and we heard some of those in, uh, in uh, Luke's Gospel about the things that he did. He also died. There was opposition to him. People wanted him dead. Um, and uh, he was buried. But three days later, he rose again from the dead. And then after 40 days, he ascended into heaven. So this is the story of Jesus we can find there because of the tri-personal uh, tri nature of God. Jesus could do these things. But what's the significance of it? Um, why would Jesus come to earth? Why did he do that? Was it just he wanted a, a tourist trip to find out what's going on? Well, actually, the Bible quite clearly uh, tells us. And I, again, with Muslim people, I find that they tend to think very concretely rather than abstractly. So I use an example like this. Imagine someone has to jump 10 metres. Um, if they jump uh, just to a one metre, they're, they're not going to succeed. If they jump 9.9 .9 metres, they're not going to succeed to Make the full distance, you have to go the full 10 metres. The world record, I think, is somewhere around 8, eight metres. So um, no one's going to be able to do that. And when we think about God, then we recognise that God is 100% holy. And there is a gap between us and humanity. Isaiah 59 says, your sins have separated you from God. And so this is the gap that, that exists between us and God. And we might try to... Uh, uh, um, solve that or, or to bridge that gap by ourselves. But the Bible also says everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us has the ability to be able to do that um, by ourselves. And so it needs another solution. Human effort's not going to do it. Um, and the Bible also tells us there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity the man Christ Jesus, because we have someone who lived on the earth as a, as a fully human person, but is also fully God. And so Jesus then is the one who comes between, who brings us together. And because of that, Jesus is able to, uh, Jesus makes the exclusive claim. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. There is no other way. Only Jesus is able to do that. 
And he offers us um, the, the promise of eternal life. He said, I, have, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and um, believes in him who sent me has eternal life, who will not be condemned, but has crossed over from death to life. And so Jesus has this, uh, um, uh, the promise that he gives us. To Muslims, this is really significant. For Muslims live in fear of, of death, of condemnation, and particularly of punishment. Um, because the Quran and the Hadith give lots of details about the punishment that they will suffer in hell. There's pages and pages of it, and it's quite graphic. Um, and this promise of not being condemned is something that's quite attractive to them. This promise of being able to live and to start that eternal life now. And so I said to this young man, what you need to do is to accept that Jesus died for you. Believe in him with all of your heart to confess your sins and to dedicate your life to following him, a life of discipleship. And he said, that sounds good to me. And he committed his life to Christ and he was baptised a few weeks later. And so this is a very kind of practical thing that we can use with Muslim people. And this will go up on the website so people can have access to it um, and encourage you to, um, to talk with Muslim people about it. So just a couple of principles and then I'll finish with a few stories. Um, when you're um, sharing with Muslim people, firstly, don't be intimidated. <clears throat> Often we uh, live a little bit in fear, which is un unwarranted fear, unjustified. Muslim people are generally very religious and open for discussion, much more so than your typical secular Aussie. Um, you can launch into spiritual discussions and they're, they're up for it, which is fantastic. Um, Secondly, do your homework. You might need to get some training because they will also, as, a, as the Sheikh did, ask questions that you may not have thought about. Um, and at Melbourne School of Theology, we run training. We've got a course coming up on uh, apologetics to Islam. So how do you answer the questions, the standard questions that Muslims ask? Um, and that will be uh, happening next semester. Um, thirdly, be culturally sensitive. They come from uh, a culture uh, where... Uh, Gender boundaries are really quite clear. Um, um, also, food and drink issues, so don't invite them down the pub for a beer and a pork pie to talk about Jesus. Um, it may, you may not get a, a take of that. In some cases, you may, um, and, and often Muslims that come here think, great, I'd love to try that. Um, but be, be a little bit aware of that, whether that's the most appropriate thing to do. And um, <clears throat> take the initiative. Uh, don't, don't always be on the defensive. And I, when I first started working with Muslims, I allowed them too much to set the agenda. Now I go on to the front foot very early and start saying, well, actually, you've got, there's some problems within Islam and uh, the, the gospel has answers to those. Um, be a genuine friend and love them because they come from very social kind of backgrounds um, and that's really key to do that. Share your journey with Jesus. As you've received answers to prayer or as God has, leaded, uh, has led you or helped you through different things, tell those stories because they often tend to be, as I mentioned, not great abstract thinkers but very concrete and those kinds of things are really quite key, key to them. Open the Bible. Recognise that this is uh, the source of truth. Uh, if you don't have a, a physical Bible, you've probably all got yours on here. This is the Bible that I read now. Um, where you can have multiple versions and do word searches and just do amazing kinds of things with your online Bibles. Um, and pray with them and for them. Um, so there's always opportunities for uh, 
Muslim people, as you get to talk with them, you'll find that they're facing different issues in their life and you can pray for them. I had a, a case, I was travelling on the train going to college one day and saw this young guy um, who looked like he was a Muslim. He was looking a little bit lost, so I just went up and said, oh, you look like you're a Muslim. And he said, oh, I am, I'm from Pakistan. And I'd lived in Pakistan, so we got chatting. And I said, what are you doing today? He said, I'm going for a job interview and I'm really nervous. And I said, look, can I pray for you so that God would open up the door and whatever? So I put my hand on this guy and prayed for him on the, on the train platform. I would not even think of doing that with a secular Aussie. But this guy, was, he was ready for it, open for it. And he said, thank you so much for that. Um, and we can do that with Muslim people. Um, it's really a positive thing. I'll tell you the story of Ali, the suicide driver. Um, he was our driver. <laughs> the, uh, the, the Yemeni government, we were living in Yemen and my wife's a doctor and we were doing medical work out in the villages and that involved us uh, driving out to these quite remote places and there'd been some fighting going between different tribes and they were opening fire on, on vehicles and so the government said to us, you have to have a Yemeni with you if there's something happens and he can kind of... Um, uh, translate and whatever. I said, well, we can do that. He said, no, no, you have to. So we did. Um, anyway, so someone recommended this guy, Ali, and uh, so got in the car with him and started driving out through there. And I said, tell me your story. And he said, oh, I've got an interesting one. He said, you know, I used to be a very committed Muslim. Um, had a long beard and I used to travel to different countries, Pakistan and other places, to teach him about how to follow true Islam. He said, you know, these people, they don't know proper Islam. We Arabs know it. So he would travel around, and he was kind of a travelling evangelist for Islam. Um, <clears throat> while he was on one of those trips, his father, who was quite high up in the uh, Yemeni army, got injured in one of the many civil wars that they have in Yemen. They seem to have one every couple of months. They've got a big one going on at the moment. Um, his father got injured, and he was taken to one of the two mission hospitals in the country, a Baptist hospital, and they operated on him, and the father died on the operating table. Um, Ali heard about this and he was convinced that the Christians had killed his father and so he was out for revenge so he went down to the army stores and he got a hand grenade and um, uh, pulled the pin on it stuck it in his pocket holding the lever um, so he was armed and ready to go and he turned up at the hospital and he said I want to talk to the doctors who operated on my father and so the three of them came they were American doctors um, and he said to me as soon as they gathered there, I was just going to release the pin and I was going to kill them and kill myself. He was a suicide bomber. Well, they were standing around him and one of them said to him, Ali, we are so sad about your father. He came here many times and we loved him dearly. He was a good friend of us. And you must be feeling distraught because he's dead. Can we pray for you? And one of the ladies put a hand on his shoulder and started praying for him. Ali said, I don't know what she, what she was doing. I thought she was doing some magic on me. He said, because suddenly I felt all the hatred and anger in me just flow out through my legs and into the ground, and it was all gone. He said, so I kept my hand on the thing in the pocket, and I walked away, and you can slip the pin back in, <laughs> and it won't go off. Um, and he said, I didn't quite know what to do, with this, but they gave me a Bible, and I started reading it. And he said, in this I discovered the love of God, and I became a Christian. So this was Ali the suicide bomber, who was now our driver. He still drove like a suicide bomber, by the way. He was a hopeless driver. Um, but he was a real evangelist. And as we were driving along, we'd see someone hitchhiking. He said, what about that guy? I said, yeah, yeah, stop it, pull him over, pull, pick him up. So we'd 
put him in the back at 100 kilometres an hour, we'd get to share the gospel with someone who wasn't able to get out of the car. Just great opportunities. So that's uh, the story of Ali, the suicide bomber. It sounds a bit like the Apostle Paul. He wasn't out there looking for God. Ali wasn't looking for God. Ali was bent on revenge. Paul was bent on destruction. He's on the road to Damascus. He's looking for Christians to kill, to imprison. Um, God knocks him off his horse and, and gets his attention, just as God got Ali's attention. So I just want to encourage you. Um, sometimes people look at Islam and go, too big, too scary, too dangerous. But God doesn't look at it that way. God, God sees this as a challenge for us. And, he, and he's brought 600,000 Muslims here into the country. Um, and we can share with them. And you're not going to get kicked out. Um, um, and so I really encourage you to take those opportunities to, to, to share the gospel with Muslim people. I've um, written a book um, where I do a comparison between Jesus and Muhammad. Um, and it's a kind of book that you could give to Muslim people um, so that they can understand that, uh, who Jesus is written from an Islamic perspective. And I've got um, uh, a mailing list out there, as I mentioned, if people want to find out more about courses. But I think we've got time for some questions, have we? Yeah, if people... I don't know if anyone sent me any um, on the phone. Um, I think I've got one, yeah, one here. It's <coughs> and we'll take some from the floor as well. Um, are you able to, um, uh, to comment on Muslims during Ramadan month receiving visions of Jesus and thus become believers? Is it a common phenomenon, your thoughts? Certainly it happens. And um, I know of some, in fact, um, someone sent me the uh, one of, of a woman recently who had done that. She'd gone to... Um, uh, pilgrimage in Mecca, it wasn't the month of Ramadan, but in the month of Hajj, um, uh, and there she had a, an image, of a, a vision of Jesus, and then again came and, and uh, started uh, reading to seek to understand him. So it does happen. God, by his grace, works there. Sometimes, you know, we, if we're not doing a good enough job, step, God steps in and uh, he'll, he'll make up for it. But I think that the real encouragement for us is that God is able to transform hearts, transform lives, and uh, that's the business that he's called us to. Just wondering if there are any other questions that people had or comments uh, that, uh, about things that have come up, just about Islam in general or um, sharing with Muslim people. Oh, some other ones come up here. Um, let's see. Um, okay, so this one here is about. What would you, um, ha, um, how would you explain the true son, son of Abraham? This is a really key question for Muslim people. Um, they believe that as Arabs they're the descendants of Ishmael. Um, um, uh, Abraham's, or they'd say, his first son. <laughs> uh, Isaac was the second son, of course. Um, Abraham, the son of the slave woman Hagar. Isaac, the son um, um, of uh, Sarah, so the, the, the son of promise. Um, and um, often they feel a little bit usurped, uh, which is what happened in that story. Um, Hagar, oh, sorry, um, uh, Ishmael probably thought he was going to be, and Abraham thought he was going to be the son of promise, and God then gives that to Isaac and says, through, um, through, your through Isaac, your, your, your descendants will be named. And I think it's an important one to talk about that and to say, what... Um, was important about Abraham, he was the model of faith and we follow him and the line of uh, promise, the line of blessing goes through Isaac, through Isaac, through to 
um, Jacob and then through to Jesus ultimately. And, but then that door is open for everyone. So every person, you know, I'm not a, uh, a, a son as far as I know um, of Abraham from any kind of gene- genealogical sense, but by faith you can become a, f- a son of Abraham no matter what your background. Whether you're from a Chinese background or um, s- uh, um, South American, the doors open for everybody to come in independently of their ethnic, ethnic origin. I think that's a really important thing there. Mm. Any other questions that have come up? All right, we'll close there. Um, I'll be around at lunchtime, uh, so if you want to come and have a chat with me, very happy to do that. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you that, uh, Lord, as we uh, look at um, issues like the Trinity, Lord, we see that it is something that is very practical, that it, it just shows us the nature of you as a God who is loving, a God who is social, a God who is connected and connecting um, with others. And, Lord, we pray for Muslim people that as we talk with them about Jesus, about the gospel, we'd also be able to introduce them to you, um, to your love, to your power, to your ability to transform their lives. Lord, give us courage to do that. We know that it's not always easy. Um, uh, it's not always comfortable, uh, Lord, but we uh, thank you that you uh, promise to empower us to do the things that are pleasing to you. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Bernie. I actually meant to ask you a question. Uh, is it true that uh, in the history of Islam, that the rise of Islam is always at a time when Christianity is at the weakest? That's mm. an interesting point. Um, certainly that was the case during the time, like when Islam first uh, came, arose, so in the um, late 600s. Christianity was very divided, so they had the Byzantine Empire in the eastern um, uh, Mediterranean. The Western Empire had been, in, uh, uh, Western Christianity had been in trouble for some time, and there was a, a fair bit of nominalism and whatever within the church. And the early Christians saw it that way. They said, "This is God's um, kind of uh, uh, way to cleanse us." Um, just as in the Old Testament, God had used the Assyrians and the Babylonians to judge the people of Israel, they said, God is now using the, the Muslims to judge us. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. I'll have a... Well, I heard uh, one uh, American preacher, Michael Yusuf, yes. in America, he said that uh, he's not too much fearful of the rise of the Islam and jihadists. His, his fear is more of Christianity departing from the biblical orthodoxy. And he just said that the rise of Islam is often time due to the fact of the weakness of Christianity. And uh, where Christianity is strong, Islam is often pushed back. Where Christianity is often weak, that is where you see the rise of uh, Islam, which may be a, uh, yeah. Anyway, thank you very much for sharing with us on uh, engaging with um, 
Muslim and all that. There are many ways to do evangelism. Um, and uh, if you read a book by Bill Hybels on contagious Christianity, he listed out there are six ways that we can do it. He said they are used, you can use it in a confrontational type of ways. A lot of people they are apologetic, they can confront. Uh, there are ways of called intellectual approach, reason, use scholarly work, talk about textual criticism and all the kind of stuff. And then the third way is called testimonial. Share about your testimony, how God has been uh, good to you, what God has done in your life. And there's, there's also interpersonal relationship, your neighbor, be a friend, and journey with people. And then there's a fifth way called invitational. Invite them. Why don't you come along to this event, to Alpha Cause? Come, come and join us and discover. And then the last one is called service. Service, help people, be a friend. Uh, that kind of way of approach that we can reach people. So uh, we can use all this as a way to uh, bridge and draw people to the Lord. And the church wants to run the Alpha because that's one of the means to help you to bring your friends and to share the gospel with these people. So why don't we uh, close uh, this time of service with this beautiful uh, song uh, by faith, that we are called to proclaim our faith, we are called to bring this good news that we have to those around us. creation's grand design in the lives of those who prove his faithfulness who walk by faith and not by sight by faith our fathers roamed the earth with the power of his promise in their hearts of a silly city built by God's own hand, a place where peace and justice reign. We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on Him, our souls reward till the race is finished. The work is done. We'll walk by faith and on By faith, the prophets ordained when the long for Messiah would appear with the power to break the chains of sin and death. Triumphant from the grave. By faith, the church was called to go in the power of the Spirit to the Lord to deliver captives and to preach good news in every corner. stand as children of the promise we will fix our eyes on him 
my souls reward till the race is finished and the work is done we'll walk by faith and not by shall be moved and the power of the gospel shall prevail for we know in Christ all things are possible for all who call upon his name we will stand as children of the promise we will face our eyes on him our souls reward till the race is finished and the work is done we'll walk by faith and not our side we will stand as children of the promise we will fix our eyes on him our souls reward Race is finished and the work is done. We'll walk by faith and not by sight. We'll walk by faith and not by sight. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we ask for forgiveness. We are your chosen people. But in many sense, many of us have become a frozen people. The great commission has become the great option. We have forgotten that it is a command and it demands obedience. Help us to be a global Christians. To think globally. To think not church, but to think kingdom. And may we play a part in mission, however small it might be. It may be in the form of giving as we try to raise money to support our missionaries who is in the field and to support a project that is going on that can serve as a wonderful service to Christianity. May we play a part. May we come together to pray next Sunday. We can pray, we can give, and we can go. But we can't go, we can give, and we can pray. So may we play our part as believers in the global work of mission because that is your commission, your command and that we can do something. We cannot do everything for everybody but we can do something for somebody. And what we can do, we must do and what we must do, we will do. May you help us. As we look at Hebrews 11 that talks about faith, that it talks about what shall we say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flame, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, 
and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers, flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. And these were all commended for their faith. And yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Thank you, Lord, for these great fathers of faith that has blazed the trail for us. And even in this church, when 50 years ago, they came together and built this church. And we thank you that we have the opportunity to pass it on to the next generation. We thank you. May this God, may this amazing God bless you and keep you. May you experience His unconditional and unfailing love of God and the empowering presence of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Remember, you need to sign up if you're coming for next Sunday night.